Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. Welcome to the Clerical Errors Podcast. Hooray. <laughs> For some reason, whenever I do that, I always want to say Toxin Tasting's Podcast. But no, this is the Toxin Tasting's Studios. Spacious, lovely studios that we have. And this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Berg. And uh, we got uh, Vicar App is here too. So we even upgraded him. He can actually listen in now. Yeah. So he's in the know. He's in the know. So, uh, um, so uh, he he can you know get it for, uh, talking. <laughs> <laughs> How can I make fun of Vicar when I can't even talk myself? Oh well. So uh, Berg, you brought the beverage today. What do we have? I did. This is actually from my wedding, and uh, I because I just didn't have any time to go shopping so (laughs) but since the days are getting longer i figured we could uh, drink founders all day ipa it's a session ale and it's pretty good really so should we crack it open oh yeah let's yeah that's good that's good that's that's my kind i like the i like the hops i like the hoppy ones. right well and it's nice because spring is finally springing here that's right uh, getting warmer days are getting longer so we don't we don't have to try and spruce things up with guava nectar right (laughs) pretend we're on a beach somewhere so uh um what you preaching on on sunday well the sunday is oculi which means my eyes (laughs) my eyes (laughs) (laughs) why is that funny uh which is, <laughs> which is actually from the intro, it, um, right. which is the psalm verse. And uh, we get to talk about the devil. Hey, we and talk a lot about the devil a lot this uh, this part of Lent. Indeed, we, we sure do. I mean, we started off with him on the first Sunday of Lent, and uh, now Jesus is actually being called the devil by his opponents. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talks about that wonderful, he gives this wonderful presentation, which uh, Abraham Lincoln shamelessly ripped off, right? A house divided cannot stand. And that sort of stuff. Um, but I found one of the most powerful things that Jesus says there is, uh, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, uh, then the kingdom of heaven or, or the kingdom of God has come upon you, is how we usually translate it. But mm-hmm. actually, the preposition there uh, is the same preposition used for against in all these other cases. So mm-hmm. I think it really means like the kingdom of God has come against you guys because you guys are rejecting me. You guys are hardening your hearts. You guys are the ones whom the seven devils are going to fill, mm-hmm. which is why he, uh, uh, you know, you you guys are the ones scattering. You guys are the ones who are therefore against me. And, so, and thus the divided house then. Right. And it's really not a divided house because they say they're the church, but they're really not the church, right? They actually mm-hmm. are thralls of Satan, which is a really scary thought. You yeah. know, we got all these horror movies. I'm a big horror movie buff and that, but... Um, they never really capture the the true horror of it is that we always think we're free. Yeah. We always think that we're uh, autonomous, right? But really, we're just puppets on a string. Whereas Luther says the donkey that's either being ridden by Christ or by the devil. And, and this is an example, too, where there's kind of no middle ground here. Either you're on one side or the other. Right. It's like a football game, right? I mean, you're not a spectator watching in the stands. You're actually the ball. Yeah. I mean, really, that's what you are. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, and that's hard for 
Western Enlightenment types to accept because we like to believe that we can reason our way out of things. But the foundation of reason is the law. Yeah. Right. The the opinio legis, the opinion of the law, and uh, we can't fulfill that. So, and uh, and uh, really is uh, be mindful that we really are in a, a spiritual battle. Now, I read somewhere that some think that the finger of God is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I oh, man, I haven't done any research on that, but uh, I think that's true. I mean, it's really interesting because there is a reference to that in the Old Testament reading. Mm-hmm. Where uh, Moses is casting out, uh, actually making Aaron. lice, right? Um, they're actually making lice, and the priests, the Egyptian priests, this is the one miracle they can't do, mm-hmm. and so they go to Pharaoh and they're like, "Dude, this is the finger of God," um, meaning, "Hey, just let these people go." Do you, do you know when I when I when I read that in the in the text, um, and I hear that, I think of the movie Twister. Cow, cow. Uh, well, they're all they're all uh, at at Ma- at Meg's house. And okay. they get hungry and they go to Man Meg's house and they're, you know, they're eating uh, like homemade gravy and all this stuff. And they're talking about the power of tornadoes. And, and someone says, oh, have any of you ever seen an, an, an EF5 tornado? And they all get quiet and they say, the finger of God. That's the way they refer to an F5 <laughs> tornado. All I remember is the cow flying. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that movie probably a dozen times in the 90s, but because it came out in what, 92? Um, Vicar. I, I'm, I'm going to make a guess here. I think it was about 96. I think Peter was a baby when that came out. Oh, man. So it would be Our, 96 or 97. So the one who makes us sound good was yeah, just a little guy. That's right. So, oh, uh, time so hey, Vicar, when was this movie made? Uh, Twister came out in 96. Nailed it. Man, look at that memory. <laughs> hey, hey, maybe someday you can mark uh, your calendars by when your children are born. God willing. <laughs> so yeah, that, I'm basically preaching on on the same thing that uh, the spiritual battle that we we have, and and to be mindful that uh, the devil and all his powers they hate the gospel, don't they? Yeah, and we see that it's getting worse and worse as time goes on, right? Because the devil tempts Jesus in the first Sunday of Lent, right, and then he teaches about prayer in the second Sunday. Mm-hmm. The third Sunday, this Sunday is, um, uh, you see the Pharisees hating Jesus, mm-hmm. and then the fourth Sunday. They really hate Jesus. This is what the John eight reading, right? Right. I I I haven't been doing the one year series very long. I've recently have gone from the three year to the one year, and one thing I've noticed is there is just a general better flow of things in the one year series, and I also find that uh, that uh, the the readings go so much better together. The Old Testament, the Epistle, and the Gospel reading all flow with a more of a central theme. Right. Right. I I feel the same way. I mean, it's uh, definitely not. Uh, what do you want to say, canon law, but <laughs> it's it's really a great thing, and I would encourage people to at least look at uh, the historic lectionary. Um, if you want to see some examples of that, go to, uh, what is it, historicallectionary.org. Um, I think there are a bunch of sermons on um, the historic lectionary. You can go to sanctus.org, and they also have the lectionary, the uh, the readings for each Sunday listed out for you there, too. And, so. and maybe, maybe you know, our, hopefully our listeners have a varied background. If you're at a church that uh, doesn't use a, a, a lectionary, I just want to point out what a wonderful thing it is to use, because uh, it, it forces you to preach on things you wouldn't maybe come up with on your own to preach on. It, it makes you make sure each year you have the full counsel of the Word of God. When you don't have a lectionary, I know my tendency would be, well, what's bothering me? You know, you know, what do I really need to preach on? And I'd, it'd always be grabbing, it'd be 
over time, I think it would almost become a personal agenda of mine. Right. You know, where nice I, hobby horse. Right, right. I'm going to harp on this, so I'm going to pick this as a text, or I'm going to pick this as a text. Well, this this has a rhythm and a flow that really teaches us to to uh, to to have that the full, well-rounded uh, scripture readings throughout the year. And that's what St. Paul tells all pastors to do, right? When he sets himself forward as an example in Acts chapter 20, when he says, you know, I preach to you the full counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. Yeah. So. All right. Guess what it's time for? Bullhagen's Top 12. Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. Now, we, you know, they've been all over the map, right? So what kinds of uh, top 12s have we done so far? Uh, you've ranked the Apostles. Um, you did your biblical fantasy football team. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites was the top 12 names for this podcast, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. A lot of inside jokes, but hilarious. Yeah. So what, And, and uh, the things that you could do to help your pastor sleep at night was right. a, a, yep, more of a helpful a, thing. Yep, that was a good one. Okay, so... Uh, this time I really challenged myself. I, I wanted to really put some work into it. Okay. And, wow. and I, I was thinking back, uh, one thing I never understood as a child and I still didn't up until I did this really understand them. But now I kind of do, I really got into this and that is haiku. Do you like haiku? Um, <laughs> I, I remember having to write them in, uh, like high school English class or whatever. They're like Japanese poems, right? Right. Five syllables, seven, seven syllables, and then five syllables. You have to get it all in, and that, that amount. And and so uh, I appreciate that. Pre- I thought it was silly, and I thought my exercise would be silly, but then I started getting into it. I kind of like haiku now. Nice. You like haiku? Yeah, well, it's all right. Um, I'm I'm more of an English meter and rhyme type of guy, but, you know. Old school. Well, you know, <laughs> that's the way we roll. I, I am more of a, uh, what kind of poetry do I like, um, uh, you like Rob uh, Bass and DJ Easy Rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you like your rapists. So, <laughs> so what I have today is my personal top twelve that I wrote, top twelve haikus based on parables. <laughs> wow. Okay. I I'm impressed. I'm all right. I'm really actually excited to hear I, these. Whenever I, whenever I do these, I, I think by the back of my mind how you said, oh, I don't know if you'll be able to have a top 12 list every week. This, Yeah. I I mean, this, the, wow, this is really going, you know. So so part of this, I want you to see if you can figure out what parable it is, because some of them will be obvious. Some of them, they won't be. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So number 12, you are dead to me. Squandered, pigs, hungry, lost, dead. Welcome home, my son. Ooh, okay. This is the uh, parable of the prodigal son. Yeah. Nice. And for those who maybe aren't familiar, uh, a parable is a, a story that Jesus tells, and it imparts, uh, you know, a, a truth about the kingdom of heaven or the like. And I, I, I kind of almost liken them to hymns in the sense that it, it teaches biblical truth in a way that the heart understands. Right. So. And so, yeah, you hit it all there about... Um, Squandering and pigs. And, the, you are dead well, to me. Yep, in a you're sense, dead to me. The, the right. son saying to the father, "I'm going to take your inheritance," and uh, he wanders, squanders it away. And then when he gets hungry, lost, dead, as I say, he comes and he welcome home, my son. So, uh, where if people want to read that, where can you find it in the Bible? Um, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Vicar. <laughs> right, it's, it's Luke 15. Number 11. The bridegroom is here. Ready, oh snap, I'm out. 
keep your lamps burning. <laughs> <laughs> the parable of the bride of of the uh, of the of the, the virgins, the, the, ten, the virgins. ten virgins. Right. Nice. So the the master, the bridegroom's coming. Uh, half of them keep their lamps filled. The half half of them uh, don't, and uh, they're some are ready, some are not. So it teaches us to be ready. Um, Vicar, uh, do you know where this is found? That's uh, from Matthew chapter twenty-five. Number 10. Two sinners indeed. One seeks mercy, one glory, one is justified. Ooh, the parable of the uh, tax collector and the Pharisee, or the publican and the Pharisee. That's right. That's right. Which is found? Let's see. That's, okay, that's from Luke chapter 18. Number 9. The smallest of seeds, yet it grows to be the greatest, the kingdom of God. Nice. The parable of the mustard seed. Yeah. Which, the, the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds, but it grows to be so big that even birds take shade. Indeed. And this is a, and this is a, this is a parable about the, about The what? kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, which is the? Church. The church. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> of course. I was, I was okay. looking for some deeper meaning than that. Yes. Okay. All right. And this uh, is found, uh, Vicar, do you know where this is found? Uh, Matthew 13 or Luke 13. Okay. All right. What do you think of the list so far? You like these haikus? I'm I'm very impressed by your poetic <laughs> ability. <laughs> Number eight. Farmer, scatter seed, road, rocks, thorns, and the good soil. God gives a harvest. Oh, the parable of the sower and the seeds. There you go. I like it. You actually preached a funeral sermon on that once. That's right. Yeah, that was that was good. Very good. And uh, it reminds us that uh, that God does produce a harvest through His Word. So, Vicar, where is that found? That is from uh, Matthew chapter 13. So a reminder that these haikus are five syllables, seven syllables, and then five syllables. And I find them to be very ADD friendly. Indeed. Very short and concise. You can't get too many words in there because then it It ruins it. Number seven. You have everything. I have nothing but God's grace. I have everything. Parable of the rich man and Lazarus? That's right. Nailed it. Rich man and Lazarus. And so who the rich man has everything. Lazarus has nothing. Right. But he still has everything. everything. Because when he dies, he enjoys all of the things that he didn't enjoy on earth uh, on account of faith. A classic example of theology of the cross. Indeed. Right. Vicar, where is this found? That's from Luke chapter 16. Number six. The Lord forgives death. We could never repay it. May we forgive too. Oh, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Yes, where uh, the man could not pay the king back, and there's no way, and he begs of mercy. The king gives it to him, and then this the man goes, finds one of his neighbors, and he demands that he pays him back. Yeah, he forgives him 10,000 talents, which is like 150,000 years of labor. <laughs> and yeah, what does this guy say? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll pay you back. Just, just be patient. <laughs> <laughs> Vicar, where is this found? Let's see, that is from Matthew chapter 18. Number five. Two houses were built. Storm came, one crashed, one stood still. Build on Christ's word. Nice, okay. Yeah, this is, uh, actually it's a a hymn too, right? On Christ, the solid Solid rock rock I stand, stand. all other ground is sinking sand. Mm -hmm. This comes, what, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, Vicar, where is that? That's Matthew chapter seven. All right. Number four. Oh, lamb, where are you? I leave others to save you. Every soul is precious. This is the lo- the parable of the lost sheep. 
And this is kind of a, the beginning of three very wonderful parables about God's love. Well, you've got the lost sheep, and you've got the lost coin, and then you have the lost son, which we all know as the parable of the prodigal, prodigal son. son. That was so, earlier on the list. Right. So, Vicar, where is, where is this parable found? That's Luke 15. Number three. This is a little more tricky. We'll see if you can get this one, okay? Because it's, it's a little subtle, so. All right. We are entrusted. We are not empty-handed. Use the gifts he gives. Uh, the parable of the talents. That's right. Yeah. Very good. Nice. So why would I say he? we are entrusted? Because because when, when Christ ascended into heaven, he didn't leave us empty-handed. Right. He, he gives people different gifts according to his... Well, according to his will, right? Mm-hmm. According to his good pleasure. Some he gives more and some he gives less. And the whole thing about not being empty-handed, right, is that they, well, two out of the three put the money to work and the other guy just, hes a, he really is empty-handed because he buries it in a ditch somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I always thought like, like all the like all the depression people with their <laughs> coffee cans <laughs> the, before the banks went broke. They're like, ah, oh, let me get my money and you know put it in the mattress. Yeah. So, Vicar, where is this found? Uh, Matthew chapter twenty-five, number two. Welcome to the feast. Highways, byways, sinners come. God's mercy is given. Ooh, very good. The uh, parable of the wedding banquet. Where we, the, that's right, and that's where. Uh, uh, people, the the invitation is uh, sent out, but people reject it. Right. They, they find too many other things to do. And uh, how does that go in Matthew again? The king gets angry and he burns their city. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't notice that in your haiku. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've only got, uh, I only have 17 syllables. Right, right. There's only so much you can do. Okay, Vicar, where is this one found? Matthew chapter 22. And number one. All right, our number one haiku, written by yours truly, about the parables. I don't know if you like this one or not, but... I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath. Beaten, left for dead, others passed, Jesus saved me. He is my neighbor. Okay, yep. Yep, this is one of your big deals, right? It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's right. Right. And, uh, well, we actually have an icon in my house uh, that I think we received for a wedding gift mm-hmm. where Jesus is the good Samaritan where he puts, uh, you know, puts the beaten man on his donkey and takes him to the end and, you know, pays his health care. The, the point I try to make in the haiku is it's it's not just how we are to be neighbors and not pass by, but ultimately we are the ones that Jesus actually saves because it answers a question from the rich man. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Ultimately, Jesus shows that he's the one that saves us. Right, right. He, uh, Because he is the perfect expression of the law, right? Even though he was the Lord of the law, he submitted under the law, and he lived the life as a perfect neighbor, even though all owed obedience to him, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, as the Lenten hymn goes, you know, he paid the debt his servants owe him who would not know him. From, O oh, dearest Jesus, what law I hast thou broken? broken. All right, that is our very top good. I list. was, I'm very. This is a side of you I haven't seen before, so <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, further poetic excursions. Well, it might be a while. I might have a, a, a baseball team or something first. <laughs> nice. I see. <laughs> All right, brings us to our next section: Berg's bodacious blasphemies. Peter, play the intro. Berg's Bodacious Blasphemies is the part of the show where Berg seeks to sell you ancient damn delusions by repackaging them for modern consumption. 
In short, Berg makes bad stuff sound bodacious. All right. So this bodacious blasphemy isn't as long or as wordy as some of my other ones, but uh, uh, since, since Easter is coming up, um, I figured I'd do something about Easter. And so the heresy that I am dealing with today comes from a, a group of people called the Audeans. They were a, they were followers of Audius, who lived about 1,700 years ago, so AD 340, 350. Mm-hmm. He was a native of Syria. He uh, was a good guy in a lot of ways. I mean, he castigated the luxury and the vice of the clergy, and he was finally kicked out of the church. Uh, but the reason why so many people are against this group is because uh, the way that they dated Easter. When did they celebrate Easter? Well, they uh, celebrated Easter on the same day that the Jews do, the mm-hmm. 14th day of Nisan, the Passover. Right. Okay? That's why they were called quattrodecimians, right? For quattro meaning, you know, 14, mm-hmm. right? Well, quattro meaning four and decimia meaning 10, right? right? Four, so they were literally 14ers, right? So that's kind of the background here. So we're going to talk about Easter. All right. Bit. Here we go. <clears throat> Do you know when Easter is? Well, figuring that out is as easy as rocket surgery. Easter is always the first Sunday after the first full moon occurring on or after the vernal equinox. Confused yet? Well, do you want an easier, older way to celebrate Easter? Well, the Audians just might be your kind of people. They were rabid quattrodecimians who said that you had to celebrate Easter on the Passover, the 14th day of Nisan, just like the Jews do, who don't believe in Jesus. Why rack your brain over all these calculations so that Easter can fall on a Sunday? The Lord's Day, you know, that day that he rose from the dead, when you can blindly follow the Jews in their celebration of the Passover. Heck, why shouldn't I give up the freedom Christ won for me and yoke myself with laws that neither the Jews nor their fathers could bear? I mean, I really like putting new wine in old wineskins so that they burst and I lose both the wine and the container. And while we're at it, we can celebrate silly Seder meals, and then we can commit the sin of syncretism together. Now, if you participate in this gateway heresy, you can later hit the hard stuff, like Sabbatarianism, where you only worship on Saturday because the Jews did, and the modern Seventh-day Adventists do. Or maybe you'll become a full-blown Judaizer and get circumcised because, you know, that's what you do in the Old Testament. Then you'll qualify for Paul's advice in Galatians 5.12. I wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Or you can rejoice in the freedom which you have received from Christ and listen to Paul's words in Colossians 2.16-17. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. Very good. That's me clapping. Very good. I, why do we get so caught up in these things? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it has to be this day or it's not Easter or how come we don't have anybody argue about Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> well, they do. They say it's pagan. Actually, the Puritans didn't celebrate Christmas in the New World. Oh. You didn't know that? No. No, it, it really came in later. It was a later deal. They thought it was completely pagan. Okay. So, And it all comes back to legalism, right? The, the Quattro Decimians were legalists, right? Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, well, it was the history of the primitive church, right? And it had to be done the way of the Jews, right? So in other words, uh, modern day translation, that's the way we've always, always done, done it. it. <laughs> and it's hilarious because the other side was the same way, right? Victor, who was a uh, the bishop of Rome, you know, basically a proto-pope, he actually attempted to excommunicate all these other churches in modern-day Turkey because <laughs> they celebrated Easter on the 14th of Nisan. And it was the same way uh, when Roman missionaries went to Britain, 
because mm-hmm. the Celts actually celebrated Easter on a different day too. And they had what was called uh, the Synod of Whitby in 664. Uh-huh. Okay? And so the king asked them, both sides, if they agreed that Peter had been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven by Christ and pronounced to be the rock on which the church would be built. And then they both agreed, obviously, yeah. right? And so the king said, well, uh, I'm going to go with the Romans because obviously they're from Rome and Rome is where Peter is, right? <laughs> had nothing to do with the Bible. It had nothing. It all had to do with uh, just this legalistic um, way of, uh, of authority, Right. Because, it, yeah, it just wound up being a power struggle rather than, you know, the point of Easter is not what day it is. It's the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Right. And that's why, and this gets to a kind of a larger issue of uh, what we call, and there's a fancy 25-cent word here, so adiaphora. Mm. Bicker, do you know what adiaphora is? Um, those would be like indifferent things, things neither commanded nor forbidden. Good work, yeah. Adiaphora are things or church rites that aren't either, that aren't commanded by God and they're not forbidden by God, and they're introduced into the church for the sake of good order, right? So what do we do, right, with this, right? What are, what's kind of how do we deal with adiaphora? How do we deal with things that are neither commanded nor forbidden? Well, uh, we uh, we uh, try and do what's best for everyone. And, and make what's, uh, you know, what seems logical for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Right. We do things that are the most useful to the Church of God. Do we uh, entertain frivolity and that sort of thing? No. No. Uh, do we change things very quickly? No. No. Right? Because we are uh, patient and tolerant with those who would be weaker in faith, as 1 Corinthians 8, and 9, 8 verse 9 and Romans fourteen thirteen say, right? Yes. Now... There is a big sticking point here. In times of persecution, right, we don't even, we don't yield on these things, even though they're not commanded by God or uh, forbidden by him, right? So, uh, and this comes up in church history quite a bit, and we, you see it today with the Baptists, right? How do the Baptists act with baptism? Well, they have to be immersed. Right, you have to be immersed. Otherwise, it's not a true baptism. So what do we Lutherans do? Sprinkle. Sprinkle, or pour, pour. right? yeah. You know? And it's like, no, the word to baptize means to wash, which yeah. is why we don't uh, immerse, because they say you have to. Because it, it would give the wrong impression then. Right. You'd yeah. be, you'd be look, you, you'd say, it's like saying that they are, it's playing their game, right? Mm-hmm. We're not even going to play their game. Another thing, too, is when you talk about adiaphora, meaning those things neither commanded by scripture or... Um, commanded or forbidden. Or forbidden, yes. Right. Is... Uh, um, I think sometimes people make that line to be very strict so that, well, well, uh, because there's a little nuance in that. A lot of times adiaphora, for example, is used in worship. Well, since God doesn't say this or that, um, how do we know what's adiaphora and what's not? And I think sometimes, um, you know, if you say something in a disrespectful way, that actually isn't adiaphora. Right. And so, you know, a lot of times people try and play with the, the exact letter of the law saying, well, we don't see that verse in Scripture or we don't see that precisely commanded or denied in Scripture right. when... Because they're legalists. Right. When actuality, if you, you take the sense of Scripture and you, you try and, and speak the Word of God in the clearest forms, then it doesn't necessarily become adiaphora as you would like to desire it to be. Right. It's like David dancing before the ark, right? First of all, it's not in a church service. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with dancing, mm-hmm. right? And in fact, uh, what David did was a very good thing before the 
before the Lord because he, in dancing, he humbled himself, right? Mm -hmm. Why do people want to be liturgical dancers nowadays? Uh, for the I don't know. Absolute, for the absolute <laughs> other reason, right? Mm -hmm. Because it actually draws attention to them and it glorifies them and they get to be the center of attention. So so I think uh you it's like most things in, in life. You gotta be careful not to fall off on either side of the horse. Right. Right. And that's why whenever things are changed, uh and this goes for pastors too, don't be so quick to change everything, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, change the things you need to change that actually, you know. Things like grape juice, right? For mm -hmm. the Lord's Supper, you can't do that because that's not what Jesus instituted, right? Yeah. But, you know, some of these other things, uh, learn about them. Wait, um, you know, and change them with care because uh, you are dealing with uh, weak Christians. And that's not being mean to the weak. They're like fine china. They should be protected. You take yeah. care of your fragile stuff. So, and you should take care of them too. Yeah, that's a good lesson for the Hey Vicar app. <laughs> Yeah, because, uh, and sometimes you find out there's actually more wisdom to what they're doing than you realize in the first place. Right. So, all right, very good. That brings us to... Our concentrationally impaired Bible study. Peter, play the intro. Do you have impaired concentration? Then this is for you. It's the Impaired Concentration Bible Study. One verse, one verse only. All right, go ahead, Vicar. All right, so Obadiah, verse 6. How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All right. <laughs> Take it away before I lose focus. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a haiku. <laughs> um, so, I mean, here here God is, it's, it's amazing because God's will uh, cannot be thwarted, right? Because he's almighty, right? He's almighty, which means he can do anything. And he's also... Um, all loving, right? And so he does what's best for his people. So here, even though it hasn't happened yet, um, he says in the past tense that Esau, Edom, has been pillaged, right? Mm -hmm. Almost as if it's already happened, even though it's going to happen in the future. It, by the way, isn't that what all the prophets do? I mean, when the prophets talk about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, they talk about it with such clarity and reality. It's as if it has already happened. Right. That's what I find beautiful about the prophets because, you know, when when they prophesy all these wonderful things that Jesus is going to come and do, is that something you're going to see in their lifetime? Uh, no, in most cases it isn't. And even for a lot of their other prophecies in the Old Testament, they don't see it either, right? Right, and, and so and so their hope was the fact that because God promised it, it was real. It's as if it already happened. Right, right. And they, uh, they call it, uh, I believe in Hebrew, and this is back to our Hebrew days, right? Mm -hmm. The prophetic perfect, right? Right. Where it's in the past tense, but it's about a future event. And it's expressing something about God. Right. So so their hope was in the, the, the death of Christ for our sins and the, his resurrection for our everlasting life. Right. Even though it hadn't happened yet. And I think that's a, for us uh, living in our age now, we looked uh, to the very same thing. You know, Jesus promised that he was going to return. We have that word. And he's going to bring us to his everlasting kingdom. So how do we take that? His promise is so real. His word cannot die. His his word is so sure. We trust that almost as as if it had already happened. As though, because if he said it, it's sure and it's true. And we find hope, even though we may not see it in our lifetime. That is our hope. He said it, it's true. And so we hold on to those things as though they have almost already happened. Because because that's how the prophets looked at it. Just like with, with Obadiah and Esau. 
He's saying it's as real as almost as it's already happened. This is how sure my word is. You, you hold on to it, you grasp it. It's already happened because I said it, and and we look at God's word and, and His promises the same way. You know, even in the midst of bearing our own crosses, and we wonder what's going on and all those things. Well, we have Christ's word. He, we have His promise. We have the promise of the resurrection. It's like it's already happened. Yep, and we have the promise of the future judgment when those who suffer here will be exalted there. And those who cause the suffering here, right, against the church, mm-hmm. uh, will be punished there. R- reminds me of a, of a haiku I once once wrote. <laughs> 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 Which was, uh, uh, where was that? I have it right here. Um, forget it. I lost it. I killed it. Oh, well. <laughs> Cest Levi, as they say. I'm, when it gets to a certain point, then my brain just shuts off. So we need to finish this. <laughs> All right. So onward to the next section. <laughs> uh, which is news that bothers Berg. Peter, play the intro. There's fake news. There's real news. Then there's real news that Berg wishes was fake. It's time to hear news that bothers Berg. So what do you have for me tonight? Um, this is from Christianity Today. Of course it is. Okay. And uh, this is a headline. Britain uses violent Bible verses to deny Iranian convert asylum. Oh, okay. I had to wrap my mind around that one a little bit. So the British government has been using the Bible against Christians seeking asylum after converting from Islam, most recently citing verses from Leviticus, Exodus, and Revelation as evidence that the faith was not more peaceful as one Iranian convert claimed in his application. Anglican and other advocates for refugees condemned the immigration of the department's decision to deny the Iranians' 2016 petition for asylum this week. So they're arguing that saying, ultimately, that Christianity is just as violent right. as Islam. And they're sending these poor people back to their deaths. Hmm. God, that is, that is bothersome. You know, it, it, it's, uh, we talked about you know Christians being persecuted earlier at the right. wedding, as a few weeks ago. And... Uh, and Recently, we've um, have had uh, more times of violence in the Muslim, and more recently in, in at Christ Church, uh, the name of a city in Australia. Right. New Zealand, excuse me. And uh, it does bother Christians that that one gets a lot more publicity. Than this one. Than, than this one, or Christians constantly. Right. You know, in the time that, that that happened, how many more thousands of Christians have already perished at the hands? Right. And even just uh, preaching the word of God, preaching the gospel to people is getting harder and harder. I've got a good friend who's a missionary uh, over in uh, um, Sri Lanka and India, Mm -hmm. and uh, he said that his main lecturer was actually detained by the government, put under guard until they could put him on a plane back to the United States. Wow. So he wasn't even able to speak to anybody or teach or preach or do anything. So, Well, that's uh, the world we live in. Right. And I mean, this is normal. I mean, really, we've lived, uh, God has truly blessed us with the freedom to preach and teach as we have for so many years. And I mean, this is really normal that the world hates us. The world is a very evil place. And, and uh, you know, there's a one side of Christianity that does us no good, that just apologizes and, and doesn't actually say the truth. That, that because some in Christianity have misunderstood it and have acted towards violence doesn't necessarily make the Christian faith violent. Right. But at the, at the same time, there is real violence being done against Christians. Well, and this also gets down to a hermeneutical um, 
or a scripture interpretation deal, you know, are all the commands in the Old Testament, and Luther has a really good work on this called How a Christian Should Regard Moses. And mm-hmm. he talks about this, and he says, look, a lot of these commands, like given to, uh, you know, like destroyed the seed of Amalek and all that, they were given specifically to the Jews. They were given specifically to the children of Israel. And so those those commandments don't apply to us. Right. Um, so, you know, to uh, it's the same way when some smart aleck atheist will come up to you and say, well, you know, you guys condemn homosexuality, but you still eat shellfish and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, go watch a Hans Feeney video or whatever. <laughs> Moving on to confound the clerics. Confound the clerics. So we have a question from someone named Carla May. Thank you for listening, Carla May. You're obviously a big fan, um, and uh, we thank you for your support. May you let your friends and family and everyone know what a wonderful podcast it is. And uh, your question is this. A billboard on the interstate asks, do you know Jesus? If not, read the book of Matthew. Obviously, you can tell by the way she's a listener to the show. Right, because you just did your billboards deal. Oh, you know what? That wasn't aired yet. Oh, that's really? weird. Yeah, because oh, we haven't. Buckets. We actually did a, a show with my top twelve billboards, and uh, thinking that you had listened to it, but you hadn't because it hadn't aired yet. So, Carla May, you are right in mind with our show. You must. She's got the ESPN. <laughs> that's right. You've got ESPN, <laughs> and uh, so she has the inner. The billboard says, "Do you know Jesus? If not, read the Book of Matthew." I personally would suggest the Gospel of John. What are your thoughts? And uh, we, as clerical heirs, are uh, very impressed with your astuteness on this. Wouldn't you say, Berg? I would agree. Because uh, the Gospel of John uh, does speak very clearly about all sorts of issues. In fact, what's a passage everybody knows? John 3.16. Because it does give a clear explanation of the Gospel. And uh, the Gospel of John also has a very clear focus on Jesus' death, too. Right. It doesn't say so much of what Jesus did. Like the other three Gospels... Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we usually call them the synoptics. Mm-hmm. Um, they they tend to focus more on like, okay, Jesus did this, and then Jesus did that, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus did that. John is more reflective, and he's like, why? Why did Jesus do this? Why right. does Jesus do that? And he does it so that way we might be saved. And I think John also has some very easily recognizable and, and uh, themes that you can grasp onto, like the bread of life like the light. He is a light of the world, like freedom and slavery. He does a really good job of taking those themes and explaining them. And I am the vine, you are the branches, all sorts of imagery that really, really helps. I think people understand and and grab onto, especially if they hadn't heard anything about Jesus. But I want to make a caveat there though. And that is this, if you don't know Jesus, you can read the gospel of John. That's, but really to know to really understand it you need to be a part of a church right you need to find a place where they teach god's word and listen and the like i mean no doubt um there are great unbelievers who came to faith by reading uh, like saint augustine for example right mm-hmm. uh, but throughout that whole process of his conversion um, he had been listening to good preachers and so um if someone on here doesn't believe in Jesus, and they are listening to this podcast, uh, we'd invite you to continue listening, reading your Bible, and also uh, finding a good LCMS church in your area, so that way you can hear the Word of God and receive His gifts. And 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 really help you understand it. Right. Because just like you mentioned, someone d- did c- come with the example, I don't remember who you said it was. Augustine. Augustine did it from reading. 
at the same time, a lot of false religions began from someone just reading without understanding. And that's where, you know, if you take something out of context, right, that's one good thing when you talk about these things with your brothers and sisters in Christ is that um, they can keep you from, you know, there's going a, off the deep there's end. A, there's a, a fine line between the Catholic teaches where you cannot understand these things unless we explain it. We have to give it to you. Don't read the Bible on your own in a sense. We will feed it to you. Between that and just reading on yourself and trusting on your own wisdom, there's kind of a happy medium of, of making sure that Scripture interprets Scripture, that you're understanding according to other Scriptures, and that's why we have things like the Catechism, to make sure that you're understanding Scripture and you're not getting carried away. And so maybe the Apostle, maybe the Gospel of John, the Catechism would be a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it's kind of fun because I actually know a guy who came to faith by reading. Uh, his wife was a Pentecostal. He came from an unchurched home. They sat down and started reading the Bible together. And when they started looking for a church, uh, mm-hmm. they looked for two things. They looked for baptismal regeneration, and they looked for closed communion. Based on just reading the Bible. Just reading the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks be to God. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah, he's actually a pastor now in uh, Kansas, I believe. Okay. So, yeah. So it's pretty rad, man. It's amazing what God's Word can do. That is great. I said that like you did. Yeah, you did. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) That's rad, man. All right. (laughs) Well, thank you for the question. And keep them coming, please. Uh, If they have any more questions, how do they want to get a hold of us? They can uh, email us at feedback at clericalerrors.org. Or they can uh, send a message on our Facebook, Clerical Errors Podcast on Facebook. And also, uh, we have a Twitter account, and uh, you can find us on our Twitter account as well. Clerical Errors P for podcast uh, at Twitter. And by the way, if you have any haikus that you'd like to share with us. Yeah, or any other poetical works or anything like that. uh, You know where to get a hold of us. So um, if you have some haikus, please uh, share them with us. At me, bro. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for putting up with uh, me today. I'm kind of tired tonight. So I kind of let Berg carry the heavy, do the heavy lifting for me tonight. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm kind of out of it too, so. All right. Well, let's review, shall we? Let's. Remember this? The kingdom of God. Nice. The parable of the mustard seed. Yeah. Which the, the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds, but it grows to be so big that even birds take shade. Indeed. And this is a, and this is a, this is a parable about the. About the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, which is the church. The church. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> of course. I was, I was okay. looking for some deeper meaning than that. Yes. Okay. All right. And uh, this is found, uh, Vicar, do you know where this is found? Uh, Matthew 13 or Luke 13. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I honked there. <laughs> <coughs> Remember this? He, we have his promise. We have the promise of the resurrection. It's like it's already happened. Yep, and we have the promise of the future judgment when those who suffer here will be exalted there and those who cause the suffering here, right, against the church mm-hmm. uh, will be punished there. R- reminds me of a, of a haiku I once once wrote, <laughs> 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 which was, uh, uh, where was that? I have it right here. Um, Forget it. I lost it. I killed it. Oh, well. Cest <laughs> as they say. I'm, I, when it gets to a certain point, then my brain just shuts off.
<laughs> How about this? Miracle they can't do. Mm-hmm. And so they go to Pharaoh and they're like, dude, this is the finger of God. Um, meaning, hey, just let these people go. Do you, do you know when I, when I when I read that in the in the text um, and I hear that I think of the movie Twister. Cow, cow. Uh, well, they're all they're all uh, at at Aunt Meg's house, and okay. they get hungry and they go to Aunt Meg's house and they're you know they're eating uh, like homemade gravy and all this stuff and they're talking about the power of tornadoes and and someone says oh have any of you ever seen an an, an EF five tornado. And they all get quiet and they say, the finger of God. All I remember is the cow flying. Because <laughs> it came out in what, 92? Um, I, I'm, I'm going to make a guess here. I think it was about 96. I think Peter was a baby when that came out. Oh, man. So it would be Our... 96 or 97. So, wow, uh, so hey, Vicar, when was this movie made? Uh, Twister came out in 96. Hey, hey, maybe someday you can mark uh, your calendars by when your children are born. God willing. <laughs> all right that's a wrap you all have a a great great rest of the evening i'm pastor bullhagen and i'm pastor berg this has been clerical errors thank you for joining us this podcast is available on itunes google play or wherever else you get your podcasts if you enjoy the show please support us on patreon at patreon.com slash clerical heirs podcast money we receive is invested back into the podcast and the surplus donated to the lutheran heritage foundation questions thoughts concerns you can contact us on facebook at facebook.com slash clerical heirs podcast on Twitter at Clerical Heirs P for podcasts or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. There you can also find links to the things we talked about. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.